This week, it is one of the best podcasts I've sat in so far. I've got Dr. Mac talking about body fat, fat loss, and the big question, the best cut for fat loss. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want, and should know about health, fitness, nutrition, and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. All information provided in the podcast is the opinion of the individual and other contributors and does not represent the policy, procedure, or opinion of any other corporate entity or third party. Warning, this Body Science Podcast occasionally contains strong language, which may be unsuitable for children unusual humor which may be unsuitable for some adults and advanced science which may be unsuitable for bro science majors stay tuned the body science podcast is about to start this podcast is brought to you by hydroxy burn shred increase your energy and ramp up your metabolism before training hydroxy burn shred combines several carefully selected stimulant agents that have been proven to support fat loss these key ingredients with an industry-leading four-gram serve of acetol l-carnitine support the mobilization and utilization of stored fats to be used for energy stick to your nutritional plan by incorporating ingredients that may help to contribute to an improved sense of well-being and enhance mood by supporting healthy brain function. Take control of your weight your way with therapeutic ingredients proven to support weight management, fitness goals, along with appetite balancing. Today we're going to blow the house up. We've got Dr. Mac with me, my fabulous co-host. We're going to talk body fat, fat loss, the best cardio for fat loss. And I'm just going to start off with a little bit of a Dr. Mac nutrition approach. He is a time restricted. <laughs> can, can you finish that? That's like that's out of control. Well, you can do it. No. It's easy, man. This is your word, though. This is the word you've used on every single podcast we've done. Oh, the time restricted diurnal, intermittent, modified keto with targeted fasting. That's how I approach nutrition and training. We're, we're going to put that on t-shirt and everything. No small sizes for that. Time Restricted, diurnal, intermittent, modified keto with targeted fasting. That's what we do. I don't know. That should be an e-book. I'm going to write an e-book on that. Yeah. It should be bestseller. We could probably put a cover on it and make it a real book. I think so. Mate, let's get going. Why are we talking cardio? Well, we're talking cardio. We're talking fat loss <laughs> and cardio because we are all, I consider myself a passive observer of uh, social media, and I continue <laughs> to see people rolling out the two hours of slow, steady state, What's called now list, low intensity, steady state training. Yep. They drop their calories in the floor. They're taking 800 calories a day, this sort of ballpark. Loving life. And it's actually <laughs> the worst way in the world to lose body fat. Yep. In fact, if you said to me, how do I rip muscle mass off someone? Yep. That's what I'm going to tell you to go and do. Marathon runner analogy. Not to offend any marathon runners, but mm-hmm. they're not carrying a whole lot of muscle mass. <clears throat> yep. And so this really prolonged steady state training, don't get me wrong, you can lose fat that way. And we'll get to that towards the end of it. But if you want to optimize your fat loss and maintain your muscle mass, that's absolutely not the way to go. Yeah, and we're not talking about train day. We're talking about optimizing... We're talking about weight loss and maintaining muscle. Yeah, we want to talk about fat. And I think we want to broaden people's horizons around what body fat is, yeah. how body fat expands and shrinks and things like that. There are different types of body fat. And so I want to touch on that. And that body fat is defined according to what it does yep. and where it is in okay. the body. I think it's worthwhile. I think the listeners, most people that go to gyms or train are conscious of body composition and most people want to lose fat. So I thought, well, let's have a chat about it, see if we can answer some questions. 
Perfect. Let's talk with training types. The low intensity steady state training, we'll talk through the mod, uh, the moderate intensity continuous training, mm-hmm. the high intensity interval training, the HIT work that's become really, really popular, and then sprint interval training or maximal interval training, which the inconvenient reality of ripping fat off people is maximum effort. So I see a lot of people in gyms, they're pushing the sleds, they're doing the prowler stuff, they've got a ton of weight on the prowler and they're pushing nice and hard, but they're not getting the job done. That's not high intensity interval training. And the reality, and we'll get to it, but the reality of high intensity or maximal intensity interval training, the word is max, man. It's got to be top end effort, maximal effort. And so in the clinical setting, we do a test called a Wingate test, which is a 30 second all out cycle test. This is where research has been kind of cherry picked by perhaps mainstream health and fitness Mm -hmm. and they've tried to apply it broad spectrum the research on high intensity interval work is basically done with repeated watt bike wing gate tests 30 seconds all out I don't know if you've ever done one have you ever done one of those you've done a few for us yeah we've done we've recorded some and I've done a few do you want to just rip out that go 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 I don't really but that's a that could be a a ringtone on your phone or something come on Uh, I can't do it man I've got to be in the the moment you've got to be prepped for that you can't just can't just roll that out I actually wanted to make it a ringtone at the time but he wouldn't let me can't just roll it out. Not many people can tolerate that. Not a lot of people will want to or have the capacity to do four or five or six of these 30-second all-out efforts because we talk about a microwave minute. Have you ever heard that term? No, I haven't. So most people go, I'm going to train for a minute, and it goes for like 25 seconds. A microwave minute goes forever. You put you put stuff in the microwave. You want it, you know, you want it yesterday. Anyway, 30 seconds is a really, really long time on a bike when you're going maximally. So to do that back-to-back efforts, most people want to vomit. They feel pretty ordinary. What's back-to-back? On about a three or four minute turnaround time. Wow. And it's based on this epoch, which is excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about as well, but fundamentally, when we exercise, we burn up oxygen. VO2, oxygen consumption, most people have heard of VO2 max testing. You get into the original idea in the 1920s, I think it was, they had this oxygen deficit idea, theory. That's evolved more recently into what we now call epoch. And there's actually, you know, a lot of, it's become a really popular training approach. It gets thrown around a lot. And let me tell you, there's some very optimistic terminology around how long that epoch can last in the order of three days, I've been told. And I've read some research. I'm very sceptical around that. I've and never I, noticed that. But. Nah, well, that's where I'm saying there's been some cherry picking of research that has influenced some of the mainstreamers and it just doesn't work that way. Mm. It, the cold, harsh reality is it just doesn't happen because it's dependent on age, gender, uh, nutrition status, sleep status, the environment, muscle mass, body fat distribution. There's a ton of stuff. The research that is being used by the mainstreamers in health and fitness, the vast majority of it was done on 22-year-old well-trained males in a calorically controlled environment and sleep controlled. You can't take that and apply that to the general population because yeah. it's just, it's irrelevant. And that's what I talk about with cherry picking. So we want to talk about fat. So with body fat. <clears throat> what is fat? Well, fat, good question. So adipose tissue is fat, right? Mm-hmm. So for a very, very long time, the general consensus was that fat was really a passive reservoir of energy storage, really fundamentally. It plays a role in hormone production. It plays a role in insulation. It plays a role in heat regulation, things like that in the body. It's made up of lots of different cells, fibroblasts, and what we call pre-adiposites, which are effectively immature fat cells that mature and become a full-blown adipocyte fat cell in the right environment. And that's where fat cells interesting because it's a process we call adipogenesis. Genesis, genesis meaning new, right? It's a process whereby, you know, stem cells. Yep. So we call them mesenchymal cells, but they are immature cells 
that have to mature and become adipocytes or fat cells. Okay. Fat's unique in that fat can hypertrophy. It can expand up to maybe four times its size. Really? Most fat cells, we'll get to it, white fat cells and brown fat cells, they differ a little bit. But white fat cells Does are- Does that matter which rice I eat? No, it doesn't make any Sorry, difference. Sorry, that's a bad joke. It won't project. matter. Yeah. It might affect your fiber intake. But <laughs> you just like throwing me off my train of thought. White fat cells are about 0.1 of a millimeter in diameter. They're pretty little things, yep. right? And you'll probably be born with maybe 30 billion of them. 30 billion. 30 billion. Billion with a B. So it's a lot of fat cells. Now that's, I made a very big generalization. How many fat cells you're born with will have a lot to do with who your mum and dad are. So we're not all born with the same amount of fat cells? No, we're absolutely not. And the research, the general consensus tells us that basically large persons who have high body fat produce genetic characteristics of their offspring mm-hmm. will have the same traits. Wow. And we absolutely know, and don't don't quote me on the stats, but children who are obese at say eight to 10 years of age, the rate of them becoming fat adults and being and having obesity problems for life is enormous. You know, it's in the order of 80%. It's a big problem. And so having a large amounts of body fat as a child, actually, it's really complicated and it's quite interesting, but we see hormones like leptin. So mm-hmm. leptin's a, a hormone that we'll talk about coming up. Yep. It comes from fat cells. High amounts of fat in children have high amounts of leptin. Leptin accelerates puberty. So we see accelerated growth rates in young kids. And that's wow. why we're seeing, you know, we talk about young kids that hit puberty at 10 years of age and, and nine and eight years of age, highly dependent on hormonal profile, which is genetic and epigenetic. Genetic. So mm. the epigenetic things that take place as a result of nutrition and what we do activity-wise and things like that. So hormone foods, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. But anyway, the adipocytes, so fat cells can hypertrophy, they can expand, or they can hyperplase, and that is we can get more of them, which... Okay, so not only get bigger... They not only grow and get bigger, they you can get more of them. So you can be born with 30 million, yep. and you can end up with 100 million. There is no limit. They don't, they don't stop. The more you feed them, the more they'll grow. So excess free fatty acid and glycerol is another product that gets stored as uh, triglycerides inside our adipocytes or inside our fat cells. So the really interesting thing though now with fat is that we know that it's the biggest endocrine organ in the body. So it plays a direct role in all endocrine functions. So leptin is probably the main hormone that we get from fat. The other one... Do you just want to tell people the, the average part of what leptin is? Leptin is a, is traditionally thought of as our satiety hormone. It's the hormone that indicates whether or not we're hungry or not and whether we're full or not. Well, I'll spend a bit more time on it in a minute, but I, mm-hmm. I just want to cover off on a couple of things. Even things like estrogen, uh, things like, and other cytokines, there's a lot of inflammation that occurs as a result of high amounts of body fat. And we've now targeted things like tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukins like interleukin 1, 6, 10, uh, C-reactive protein, things like that, that are inflammatory mediators and inflammatory markers that have actually led themselves to this term called inflammaging, which has a big impact on, and we'll do a, I reckon we should do a podcast on just on that, just on the effect of uh, inflammation and aging with high amounts of fat. So it's a, it's a hormone, it's an endocrine gland really fundamentally. We've got two basic types of fat in the body. We've got yep. white fat and brown fat. White fat is the fat that you would think of as our storage form of fat, right? Mm -hmm. So it contains lipid. Brown fat is different in that brown fat generates heat. Brown fat is brown-ish because it's got a lot of mitochondria within it. So white fat cells have, they're about, you know, 90% of their lot. Just think of a a fat droplet, a lipid. It's got a nucleus. It's got all that sort of thing. We might stick a little diagram up. Yeah, we can put a diagram up that shows you what's in a fat cell. It's got a little nucleus. It's got things like, uh, it's got a cytoplasm. It's got organelles. It's got all that sort of thing in there. It has mitochondria, but they're tiny, really small little mitochondria. As I said, they're about 1.1 of a millimetre in size. Some are bigger, some are smaller. It's going to vary. White fat can synthesise these inflammation markers 
which we call cytokines, which are tumor necrosis factor, TNF. You don't need to know this, but I guess the, the so story... Okay, there's no exam at the end no, of the No, 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 there's no, there's no exam, but the take-home message is that they're pro-inflammatory. Yep, which is a big message. Yeah, which is the opposite of anti-inflammatory. Yep. Fat gets stored as a sort of a semi-liquid state, mm-hmm. and it's mainly triglycerides. Basically, that's what's in your white adipose tissue. When we get an increased caloric surplus these white fat cells can expand by about 400% of their size. And so before they divide, then they'll divide and then they'll go into hyperplays and then we'll get more of them. And then they will increase in size by 400% and so on and so on from there. So That's that's nasty. Yeah, yeah, super nasty. And the big problem with fat cells is the only way to get rid of fat cells is to suck them out with liposuction. Really? Yep. So what you've got, you're born with what you've got and you've got that for life. You can end up with more as a result of what you do in life, but you're never going to have less. We make them shrink and that's where weight loss, fat loss comes and goes. And there's a constant process of lipids in and lipids out and it's a pretty dynamic sort of arrangement. But the only way to get rid of them is... um, Cut them out or suck them out. One of the inconvenient realities of life. Brown fat, uh, they're smaller fat cells. They're actually the site where we get this non-shivering thermogenesis. We, it's often referred to as baby fat. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, babies don't shiver. I don't right? know if you ever noticed that, but... Babies don't shiver. There you go. The difference with... Well, I've learned something. There you go. Apart Fun from, fact. I actually understand Maybe there's one. some <laughs> pediatric experts out there that tell me that's wrong, but certainly that's what I've read in the literature. So it doesn't matter that we rug them all up. You don't know the answer to that, and I shouldn't have asked. No, no, you want to rug them up. You don't want to put them out in the <laughs> snow. That would be called child abuse, Greg, and we don't advocate any form of child abuse. The mitochondria are important because the brown fats chockers with mitochondria and they have a thing, an uncoupling protein one, which is UTP one. That's the thermogenesis. What is thermogenesis? Yeah, that's a good question. It's heat production, really simply. You actually, we were talking about it before. You said, what's metabolism? You know, mm. what, what is our metabolism? Uh, it's really just the chemical functions associated with, with bodily function. It's the whole millennium of actions that lead to normal homeostasis. Uh, that's a good word, yeah, isn't it? Is it is a good word. So I like to roll these yeah. out. You know, keep I'm going to look toast. it up at the end of this. Yeah, they are also, brown fat also is responsive to the central nervous system. There are catecholamines, so we talk about adrenaline and noradrenaline. They will stimulate these cells to uptake or to undertake thermogenesis independent of what's going on with insulin. Okay, yep. they, uh, they're our heat-producing fat cells. So that's a good thing, right? We need that to take place. We've got the white fats that's effectively the, the storage pro-inflammatory side of things. Yep. Then we've got the brown fat that actually plays a bona fide role within our body with heat production. So it's, it, it's important to general, general life. Within that, so that's the to- two types. There's also beige fat. So beige fat is fat that's taking on some characteristics of both. Oh, really? Yeah, so, and you can't influence that with different types of activities and nutrition, but we'll keep it simple, basically white and brown. Fat can also be categorized according to where it sits in your body. We've got subcutaneous fat. That's the fat you basically see in the mirror that sits within the hypodermis, which is, you know, we talk about the dermis, the dermal layer of the skin. It's our physiological buffer. Traditionally, not hugely associated with a lot of the really sinister health risks. Okay. What I'm saying is you can have reasonably high amounts of subcutaneous fat and still be pretty healthy. Okay. That's a pretty broad comment. That's yeah. But it's the visceral fat. So viscera refers to our organs. Our and we, it's also called abdominal fat. And that's the fat around our internal organs, our danger fat. Yeah, it's bad for us. But the subcutaneous fat secretes leptin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit more. We also have ectopic fat. Ectopic fat is fat that sits outside of general adipose tissue. So we can have fat within a muscle. We can have fat within fatty liver. Fat within the liver would be ectopic fat. And I'm talking inside the mm-hmm. tissue. Yep. Fat within the myocardium. So myocardium is your heart muscle. 
myomuscle, cardium, heart, cardiac, and pancreas, places like that. We can have fat that sits there, visceral fat. Some people say visceral, I say visceral. It's our intra-abdominal <laughs> fat, sits within our abdominal cavity, cavity, and it's bad. We don't want to have high visceral fat. It's usually about 10 to 20% of our total fat in men. Okay. A little bit less in women, maybe 5 to 8% in women. Why is that? I think just associated with the way in which we store fat. So females will tend to store fat more around the subcutaneous areas of the buttocks and the hip and yeah. that sort of area. Men tend to have, and I'm talking, it's pretty general. This is general, we get that, mate. Yeah. It's a podcast, but, it's not yeah, a lecture. But men, yeah, but <laughs> men will, I feel like I'm giving a lecture, but men will tend to have this, this increased amount of intra-abdominal fat. And that's associated with also increased sub, uh, subcutaneous fat around the, the trunk as well. We tend to put it around our stomach. The visceral fat's got a lot of what we call glucocorticoid receptors. We've mm-hmm. talked about that previously with yep. stress hormones like cortisol. That's where our cortisol binds. So the cortisol binds onto this bad fat, this visceral fat. And that can also contribute to an increased amount of this fat being stored there. And cortisol is commonly associated with a difficulty losing fat, makes it harder for us. Well, that's, this is why. Okay. It, it blocks those receptors. So it, it makes it difficult for us to, to lose fat. That's the two basic types of fat. And then we've got the primary places that it's stored is under your skin and around your organs. They're the two primary places. I think you said to me at the start, you know, why do we get fat and how does fat grow? It's called adipogenesis, and I touched on that at the very start. It's got two phases. Essentially, there's what we call mesenchymal stem cells. They, what we call non-differentiated cells. I know it's pretty complicated. I don't want to get too complicated with it, but they are blank canvas cells that we have in our body. And they can ultimately, depending on activity in life and what we're doing in nutrition and a whole range of things, those stem cells or those undifferentiated cells can be, I guess, influenced to become other cells. They can become myoblasts. They can become, in this case, pre-adipocytes. Mm-hmm. Pre-adipocyte is just a think of a baby fat cell it's an immature fat cell it hasn't become a full adipocyte at this stage what happens in subcutaneous fat is that it stores these excess lipids through the expansion effectively of these fat cells these adipocytes through hypertrophy then it can recruit more and by recruiting more of these precursor cells that's where we see the hyperplasia and they can recruit more of these pre-adipocytes and we get more numbers of them. We influence the cells that haven't become anything yet, and they can become fat cells, and so we get fatter. And that's part of the process by which fat cells expand and grow, and that's why we get fatter. I remember we were talking about fat set point. It's a pretty interesting one at the moment. There's a lot of interesting research happening around this concept. quickly explain what that means? Yeah, so we use the word homeostasis all the time when we talk about fat. Oh, well, life, really. And the body's trying to do that. The body wants to stay the same. If you want to grow muscle, if you want to lose fat, you want to get fitter, whatever it might be, you've got to make the body change. Absolutely. So you can either train, you can change your diet, whatever you want to do. The fat set point concept in a really simplistic manner is trying to, the process of trying to influence that fat range that we maintain without any real effort. So you would have a weight that you sit around most of the time. Mm. So me, I'm, I'm about 105 kilos. I stay at that. It doesn't matter. I could eat ice cream every day. Or what, well, probably not. But you know, whatever I do in my diet and training, I sit at around 105 kilos. Okay. Unless I make a concerned effort to lose fat or to gain muscle mass. And You're a fairly structured human, though. In terms of what? Life. Training. Food, yeah, I mean, life, I, yeah. I have a pretty structured... Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about it, mate. Modified, keto, targeted, fasting, you know. I think the secret to fat loss is... Oh, here my, we go. You ready? You want, here's, the here's the pearl of wisdom. Loss. Well, wow. we talk about cycling our training, right? You've got yep. to cycle everything in life. Yep. You can't stay... For example, you cannot 
stay in a if you want to get big right if you want to put on muscle mass yep you can't be in a hundred percent hypertrophy cycle year round absolutely right it's just not going to happen just like if you want to lose fat you can't be on a diet and calorically restricted year round you've got to cycle stuff Mm -hmm. periodization of training periodization of nutrition for me is key if i want to bring about some adaptation for me it's about okay let's do two weeks of keto let's do two weeks of modified time-restricted feeding yeah. or intermittent fasting, whatever you want to call it. Let's do two weeks of if it fits your macros. Let's do two weeks of paleo. Let's do probably not two weeks of vegan, but some people might do that. <laughs> Did I just offend oh, half no, the population? you didn't offend anyone, mate. You might want to do that, Greg. Yeah, exactly. You might want to do a vegan thing or a va- – uh, I always say vegan, but it's not a thing. It's vegan. I'll, uh, what do you call it when you only have eggs and what, – what did you call it the other day? Like a lacto-ovo-vegetarian. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. You could do that if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Because I think you can then – it's not the end of the world. You don't have to do it around the clock for the rest of your life. You don't have to commit to it for forever. But you can say, well, I can do two weeks of keto. I can do two weeks of intermittent fasting. Maybe the success here, mate. You're talking two weeks of focus onto a new a new goal. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. You, you, you think about it. jumping a diet for 12 weeks. <clears throat> yep. 20 weeks, Rach, 20 weeks last week or two weeks ago. Yep. That's a, that's a big commitment. Yeah, that's right. And that's where people fall over, right? Yeah, exactly. Whereas if I say, okay, I'm going to do – because meal prep, right? I hate meal prep. I hear – like Rachel was talking about this the other day and I talk to a lot of bodybuilders and they go, got to put aside three hours to do your meal prep on a Sunday. How often is that going to happen, right? Yeah, it doesn't happen in my house much. Not in my house either. But I know it happens in – But I'm not standing on stage either. No. and commend you you guys that do. And if you're going to get – if you know you're going to get – if you commit to getting on stage in 12 weeks – You'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right. But most people aren't going to do that. No way in the world, unless they've got a wedding coming up or photo shoot or whatever it might be. But if you said, well, I'm going to do two weeks of modified yeah. cardio or whatever, of modified carbs or whatever it might be, two weeks comes around pretty quick. And you go, well, then I can have two weeks of something else. And anyway, I just think small chunks, people get wins. You also, there is a point of diminishing returns with most things in life. That's why we change our training. Mm-hmm. That's why if you just go and you, and you've seen them, how many people listening to this go to the gym? For example, if I go to a gym, let's say you go to the local gym, I'm not dropping any names of any gyms here, but let's say you go to the local gym and you train there every day and you see the same faces and how you going yep. and, you know, that's part of the whole thing and it's all pretty cool. It's your tribe. Yeah. And then you go, well, I've just got a job. I'm going to go and work in the US for 12 months, right? Go away. Come back a year later. Go back to the same gym. You'll see the same faces that look exactly the same as they did 12 months ago. And why? Because they're doing the same stuff they've been doing for the last 20 years. The same exercises in the same rep ranges on the same days of the week. They're eating the same stuff. They're going nowhere. If you want to bring about change, you've got to change stuff up. Simple as that. This set point, I think, is a conversation for for me. If you want to lose 25 kilos, then you don't try and lose 25 kilos. You go, I'm going to try. And this is where you need a bit of patience in life. Absolutely. For people that are 25 kilos overweight, they didn't get that way overnight, although you could probably put on five kilos on a weekend without too many problems. But it didn't happen overnight, right? Let's not try and lose it in six weeks because it's not going to happen. Or you might lose it, but the pattern, the habits you'll have to instill in that six weeks to bring about that change are not going to be tolerated for long life. term. Yeah. You've got to have stuff that you can do that doesn't change your life because most people are not preoccupied with counting their calories and counting their workout calories and things like that. Most people are looking for the path of least resistance to get the job done. Let's just try and lose five kilos, right? Mm-hmm. So we can implement that and we'll say, well, okay, we've got an eight-week plan, 10-week plan, whatever it might be. We're going to lose five kilos. Let's lose five. And then for the next four months, let's just keep that five off, right? The way I look at it is, okay, whatever patterns that we instill to lose the five and then keep the five off, 
within about three or four months, they become habitual, right? So it's no longer an effort. So whatever you were dropping out of your meals or whatever you were doing in the gym, that's now just your thing. Yes. That's where you'll stay effectively. So then you go, all right, well, I'm going to have to have some more change, training, nutrition, whatever. I'll drop another five. Mm -hmm. So it might take a year, but you know what? If it's your long-term goal is health and quality of – I talk about quality of life. I talk about health span. It's not about lifespan. Well, it doesn't matter if you get to 100 and you're dribbling mess – you know, that's not how anyone wants to live their life. No. The quality of health is let's get to 90 and be independent and active and doing all, all the good things in life. So I think it's about the if the long-term game is fat loss, let's not try and – I mean, do a challenge to get yourself going. They're great. I think, you know, people need to be accountable. That's why PTs play a really important role in the health and fitness industry and make people accountable. I know a lot of athletes or physique athletes who have a coach – and I know they know more than the coach. And I say, well, how come you go to that individual for that service? And they say, oh, I just need someone to be accountable to. That's a fair call too. Fair call, yeah. 100%, right? So if that's what you need, then then that's great. I think that the whole issue with fat set point is about having these habits or having these activities that have become habitual so that it's not a challenge for you to remain at a certain body fat or muscle mass or whatever it might be. There's no question, happy to have this conversation with anyone, it's way easier to lose fat than gain muscle. Maintaining large amounts of muscle mass is a really big commitment. See, most people wouldn't know that. You think about what it takes to lose fat. We'll talk about that because it's not just caloric restriction. Caloric restriction actually just drops your metabolism through the floor and actually slows a lot of things down, which is one of the limitations with that long, steady state, two hours of cardio, people doing I don't know if anyone's doing two hours of cardio, but you know what I mean. And even if you look at the recommendations for exercise for fat loss, I think it's still something like, I don't know, 300 minutes a week or something. It's like 30 minutes a day or 40 minutes a day, moderate intensity or low intensity. It's pretty soul destroying. You know, it's not particularly interesting. I think in really obese people who have been sedentary or non-active for a really long time, movement is key. Absolutely. Just move. Yeah. Just get up, move around. That's why the Fitbits Stand up are great. And work. You know, Fitbits have a real and, and a lot of those devices have become great because they're a reminder to move. Whether or not they're accurate or not doesn't even matter. It, it's a case of look, I've got this thing on my wrist, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna move. Mm. And that's where we talk about people in the workplace. If you're in an office job and you've got a desk job, and that's pretty common for most people, the capacity to sit to stand throughout the day, so the standing desks, the versa desks, yeah. I think they're called, they're a great addition because even just by modifying standing Standing, standing upright will increase your metabolism, right? So if I stand up all day at work, how many calories am I If you stand up for eight hours, I think sitting down for eight hours versus standing up for eight hours will be a difference of something in the order of about 300 to 350 calories. 300 calories for standing up all day. If you stand up all day. That's not walking. That's just standing standing. around. Yep. If if you're in the office for eight hours, if you can stand for half of that, you will increase your caloric output by, let's say, 150 calories. Nice. So again, just by doing something pretty simple, you can have a, a pretty big impact on, on your caloric expenditure. Then if you add a bit of movement to it, okay, I'm going to walk up the stairs instead of take the lift. I'm going to do a few other things. And this is what we call the NEAT, the, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But there are fairly easy things you can implement into your day that can have a big impact on your caloric output and, and weight loss. Yep. 
It's not just about slogging it out in the gym. One of the things I said at the start, I'm doing a lot of talking here, Greg. But, I'm enjoying it, mate. This um, is interesting. Yeah, I'm just so, a, hang on, I'm just going to stand up. Oh, just stand up. <laughs> we should be doing a stand-up podcast. We should what be doing, doing a stand-up podcast. It's outrageous. It's that terrible production manager over there that didn't, oh, didn't yeah. put it forward. Someone said one job, but I didn't, I know. I don't know. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hear her say that. I'm not sure. At the very start, I said that fat is now very much considered the biggest endocrine organ in our body. It's a hormone yep. producer. And leptin. I mentioned leptin. Yep. Leptin is a plays a role in long-term energy balance. And so leptin is combats another hormone called ghrelin that comes from our stomach. So ghrelin makes us hungry. Mm-hmm. Leptin is supposed to make us feel satiated or full. Leptin levels are positively correlated with body fat levels in obese people. And we do develop or fat obese people, no no one's going to be offended by this sort of terminology, but people who have high amounts of body fat can have leptin resistance. Leptin resistance. Just like we have insulin resistance and we have cortisol resistance, we can have leptin resistance because technically the leptin's there to tell us to feel satiated. Yes. So with high amounts of body fat, we should have high amounts of leptin. Yeah. We shouldn't be hungry, well, but we are. We are, yeah, Because exactly, it be, yeah. we become resistant to the leptin and actually doesn't get switched off. So we're actually hungrier because we're fat. So it's not... We're not winning, are we? We're not winning on, on many levels. Leptin acts on our hypothalamus. Uh, there's a leptin receptor within our hypothalamus and it's there to inhibit hunger and satiate our appetite. Mm-hmm. So stop us from eating more food. And it's a negative feedback lead. And it's like, think of it as a... I've, I've seen it referred to as an adipose stat, like a, something that regulates our amount of adipose tissue that we'll effectively deposit within the human body. Because it's a major hormone that triggers adaptation <clears throat> that should bring about food restriction, you could also think of it as a starvation hormone. Within the hypothalamus, there's, there's two parts to your hypothalamus. There's okay. a lateral and a medial part basically. And leptin works on both parts of your hypothalamus. So in the lateral part of your hypothalamus, so the outside, it inhibits hunger. We've talked about things like neuropeptide Y. It gets rolled out by people. Neuropeptide Y. (laughs) I laughed last time you said, I'm going to laugh again. Well, neuropeptide Y, people kind of, anyway, salty foods, sugary foods. Okay. So the lateral hypothalamus will influence that on the back of leptin. Mm-hmm. And leptin has an impact on reducing the amount of neuropeptide Y. Pretty interesting. Medially within the hypothalamus, the leptin will stimulate this substance called melanocyte uh, stimulating hormone. And that's a hunger suppressant, really simply. In a perfect world, it switches off our appetite. Okay. But in fat people, it doesn't do that. It doesn't do it. No, unfortunately. High fat meals should actually lower your leptin levels. Mm-hmm. And fasting will lower your leptin levels. So that's part of the reason why fasting or intermittent time-restricted feeding is, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, is the slam dunk way to lose weight. Okay. There is an abundance of research that's coming out specifically around the time-restricted feeding. So the difference between intermittent fasting, and I think we should do a podcast on this and we'll get a nutrition person, so I stay in my lane. But I, I spend a lot of time reading about this. The intermittent fasting component, to me, the term fasting lends itself to a caloric restriction type approach. That's just my read on Mm -hmm. it. The time-restricted feeding, of which I'm a massive fan, isn't about caloric restriction. It's about eating the same number of calories. I'm just eating them in a window. And we talked about this window not being as narrow as perhaps we originally thought. Was it 8, 16? It was 8 and 16. I think the research now is telling us you can go 12 and 12. You know, you could go 10. Well, it's heading away from your uh, calorie restriction concept, though. It's What do you mean? Well, it's added four more hours of having to feed. Yeah, but you're still having the same calories that you would have had in eight hours. But it's not. It's not as defined as eight. So do you get any benefit from eight versus 10 hours of time-restricted feeding? Mm -hmm. The answer is no. Okay. If I don't have to limit myself to eight hours, I can eat in 10. Well, why don't I just give myself a break and eat in 10? Eating in an eight-hour window for a lot of people can be a challenge. It's okay if you don't eat till midday, 
then you can eat right through to 8 o'clock at night. But if you get up at 5 a.m., you've got to be finished by 2 o'clock in the afternoon or something. That's a big call. Anyway, so I'm a little bit off, off track, but with the, uh, with the leptin resistance, we know that fat cells produce leptin. We know that leptin's elevated in obese people. We know that we also have this persistence of hunger in obese. Even when leptin levels reduce, they're still hungry or when they're elevated. And so we, we develop this leptin resistance. That's on the back of a modified hypothalamic dysregulation, really simply. So you eat more fat. Oh, you eat more. You gain more fat, more fat, more leptin. Too much fat, more leptin resistance or more disrupted leptin levels. The brain thinks you're starving, makes you want to eat more. You get fatter, then you're hungrier. Vicious cycle, not good. Let's get back to meal planning. Yeah, let's get back to <laughs> meal planning. The other thing is interesting because on average, leptin release per gram of adipose tissue is about double in an obese person what it is in a lean person, wow, which is kind of interesting. that's not fair, is it? No, it's not. And then if you think that in an obese person, that fat cell might be four times bigger, then you're looking at perhaps a, uh, you know, a seven times increased amount of leptin in obese persons. Wow. So, and there's research that supports that and, and we can put some links at the back end of, uh, at, of this podcast. I think the other things around leptin are, it's stimulated, leptin's stimulated by insulin as well, but it's also, I mentioned at the very start, those pro-inflammatory medias like TNF-alpha, interleukin and that sort of thing. So all of that will drive your leptin up. So it's a almost this perfect storm of inflammation, high, le- high leptin, high hunger, we're getting fat. So it's a pretty miserable picture I'm painting that at is. the moment. It's not all bad, we can do something about it. And that's where the conversation comes in around two things, energy expenditure, Mm-hmm. Is, is key. One of the things I want to, the points around energy expenditure is this total daily energy expenditure, the TDEE. It's influenced by your basal metabolic rate or your resting metabolic rate, which is about 50 to 70% of your total energy expenditure, give or take. Then there's the thermic effect of food. So the, just the art of eating food, not art, the action. It is an art. It is an art for some people. Just the action of eating food burns up some calories about 10% of your total energy expenditure. And that's where there are some foods like carrots, celery, that people say, well, they're negative calories. Because there's carrots. more... Well, there's more calories... It, you burn up more calories I've eating. I've heard the celery, celery one a thousand times. Have you? Oh, yeah. well, maybe cal- maybe carrots aren't one. See, mm-hmm. I've got to stay in my lane. Anyway, there's more calories burned eating it than in it. People call it negative calories. Not quite how it works. But anyway, the other one is uh, the NEAT. So the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So your occupation plays a big part. The environment plays a big part. Urbanisation has played a big part. We talked, about, part. we talked about sit to stand. And we talked about in a kilo of, or there's 3,500 calories in a pound of fat. Half a kilo. Half a kilo, yeah. We talked about just standing will increase your ability to have a impact on caloric restriction or caloric reduction. Most people, we always say we're going to try and lose half a kilo of fat a week is a reasonable goal. Mm-hmm. So that's a negative caloric balance of 3,500 calories. So you got, you know, that's 500, calories, 500 a day, calories a day over seven days. If I've just knocked off 150 of those just by sit to stand during my day, maybe I've modified my caloric intake by 150 calories, which is pretty easy to do. Yep, I'm at much. 300. Yep. I throw a workout in. I maybe take the stairs instead of the elevator, whatever it might be. It's not that hard to get to your 500. Problem is, we got things like Uber Eats, we got home delivery, we got lots and lots of availability of food. It's around the clock, 24/7. You know, council bus stops are actually now closer together, so people don't have to walk as far. We're making life too easy. Escalators, inclinators, walkerators. Is that such a thing? I whatever. Don't know. You know, you know, what I'm talking about. There's a lot of stuff going on there. I always use a couple of examples. And I'll take these from the Obesity Code book. So I'm a fan of the fasting. That's your mate, Jason Fung, isn't it? 
Jason Fung. Yeah. Am I talking too much? No, no, it's no. good, mate. I'm sorry. I'm so, just sitting back you're thinking, okay, got well, more work to do. We're talking about we're talking about <laughs> metabolism. So he uses the coal plant as a COAL, so yep. a coal factory. We can use it as a caloric sort of thing with the human body. But fundamentally, let's say you've got a, a coal factory that's receiving 2,000 2, um, tonnes of coal a day. Yep. And that's what it's processing to generate electricity for the town. Absolutely. It's going to use about 1,900 of those tonnes to generate the coal. It's going to keep a little bit in storage in a shed somewhere just in case it runs out of coal, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about that as the body. I'm getting 2,000 calories a day. My metabolism will burn. 2,000 calories a day. I'm going to keep a little bit in our fat stores because we need fat with central fat and things like that. And that goes along pretty nicely. It stays that way. If we then reduce the amount of coal that gets delivered to that factory to 1,500 tonnes, just like we might reduce our caloric intake to 1,500 calories, you can't continue to burn 2,000 tonnes or 2,000 calories. You're going to run out of resources very quickly. Yep going to be a blackout in town the system's going to break down it's going to be a big problem what does it do it down regulates its production so in us that's our metabolism so we reduce our metabolism down to 1500 calories a day because that's all we're getting yep and that's why diets don't work really simply so what happens well okay we drop our 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 metabolism drops through the floor and then we stop our diet right the yo-yo happens right people go you know what i'm off the diet you get that party invite i'm back to 2000 calories or you know what i'm feeling pretty ordinary, I'm going to 2,500 calories. So all of a sudden, instead of my metabolism only being able to handle 1,500 calories a day or the factory can only have you know 1,500 tons, yep. I'm now giving it an extra 1,000 tons or 1,000 calories. What's it going to do? It's going to store it, right? So those fat cells that just shrunk because we can't get rid of them any other way, they just go, thank you very much. Yep. And they, that's a technical sound for yep. expanding fat cells. <laughs> And not only that, they will expand to 400% of their size and they'll go, right, I need to get another, I need more of these suckers. So you'll end up with hyperplasia, fat, you end up with more fat cells on the back of that because they've ex, um, expanded so quickly. So That's it's nasty. a really, hey? That's nasty. Yeah, it's nasty. The other thing, uh, when it comes to fat loss, the other analogy is, you think of it as glucose and or carbs, mm-hmm. you think about it as ca- uh, cash in your wallet versus fat being your bank balance some bigger than others, right? Mm-hmm. But you think about the wallet, and this is where fasted cardio, I'll have a conversation around that, right? Yep. Because if you want to get to your bank balance, fundamentally, let's go with the wallet. You've got some cash in there. It's easy to access. Cash comes in and out pretty easy, but it's got a limited storage capacity. Yep. You can only fit so much. I know you can hardly pick yours up, but most people uh, they have a limited size wallet. Anyway, that's what cards are for, Greg. I actually don't have a wallet. No, I I would assume you just you have someone that does that for you, don't you? Yeah, that's funny. That's right. But basically... <laughs> so you're cash and carbs. You're at cash and carbs. So your wallet has a limited storage capacity. Your yep. bank, which let's call that the fat deposits, unlimited storage capacity, yeah. right? But it's a bit harder to get to and you've got to essentially what you would normally do is expend all of the cash in your wallet before you have to access your bank account. Yep. And that's, what it, that's, that's sort of how fat works. And so fasted cardio analogy falls over because the only way I can get to my fat stores in my bank account, I've got to go through your wallet first, work all my wallet out. If I haven't expended what's in my wallet, I'm not going to access that. And that's where people say to me, well, what should I consume? You know, I see people in the gym, they've got these two litre flasks of whatever, Mm -hmm. right? I guess what I'm getting at is what do I consume pre and post or during workout? The answer is not carbs. Carbs are cash in your wallet. If you keep putting cash in your wallet pre-workout and during your workout, you never get to your bank balance. You're never going to get to your fat stores. You're never going to lose fat. And that's that's basically how it all works. 
We're talking about faster cardio there too. Faster cardio yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. So the, the, the cold, harsh reality with faster cardio is that if, if you want to deplete those cash stores, mm-hmm. we keep coming back to that. If you want to deplete muscle glycogen, liver glycogen, uh, glucose, or liver glycogen effectively, yep. you're looking at about, I don't know, somewhere between 10, maybe 14 hours. It just depends on how much you've got in your system. But you got nearly 14 hours. Let's say 14 hours, right? That means if you're going to get up at 5 a.m. and do your cardio at 6 a.m., you need to have fasted 14 hours prior to that. So that means the last time you ate would have been 4 o'clock the afternoon before. Yeah, you're still at work. Not a lot of people doing that. Yeah, exactly. Right? So they're doing morning cardio, and that's great, but that's not fasted cardio. Keep doing your cardio, though. It's just not fasted. 100%. Yeah. Keep doing it. Get it done. But, but just, that true fasted cardio. But the true fasted cardio, that's not how it works. Anyway, I'm on a massive rant today. What's when the benefit it, of faster cardio, though? Well, like, why, well, people, why is, is everyone talking faster cardio? Well, because if you Head are truly bank. fasted, you burn your fat. Yep. If you've got no cash in your wallet, you go straight to your bank balance. If you've got no glucose or glycogen in your system, you're going to go to your fat stores. That's why you do it. Yeah, it makes good sense. That's what intermittent fasting is yep. and time-restricted feeding. It all lends itself. I mean, that was the original, perhaps the original thought around doing your cardio after your weights. In the bodybuilding community, a lot of people would do their weights workout first and yep. then do their cardio. That doesn't work if you've just sucked on two litres of carbohydrate during your resistance workout. Yep. You can't have it both ways. There's an epoch effect with that as well. Really heavy resistance exercise increases your epoch. So there might be a flow-on effect there a little bit. If we get to the crux of the whole point of what we're talking about here today, talking about cardio, the key to cardio for fat loss is intensity. Well, duration, but more so intensity. And the evolution of high-intensity interval work, sprint interval work is all on the back of high-intensity. The thought is that we get more caloric depletion. Mm-hmm. That's actually not how it works. The high-intensity work lends itself to an increased epoch. So when we start to exercise, we go in, we use oxygen, we go into VO2, consume oxygen, we finish the workout, but we in, we're in this oxygen deficit effectively. And then the next period of time after that is all associated with bringing things back to normal. That's why strength training is effective for epoch because protein synthesis, which is part of the recovery process after a resistance workout, is expensive from an energy perspective. Okay. You'll get a prolonged epoch. Most of the research associated with these really prolonged epochs, 14 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours are resistance training studies. Okay. They're not cardio studies. Epoch's just about bringing the whole system back to normal. The research is telling us that the moderate intensity continuous type exercise is still your go-to for fat loss. So can and we de- can we define two things there? Yeah. The moderate intensity and the time. So the moderate intensity, technically, by the textbook, 55 to 70% of heart rate max mm-hmm. or and you're not going to know this, but about 40 to 60% of your VO2 max for 20 to 60 minutes. That's textbook definition. And actually what we'll do is we'll put some notes up. There was a meta-analysis done because a lot of people go, and that's garbage. The high-intensity stuff is the way to go. Mm-hmm. So there was a big meta-analysis done by Keating in 2017 that compared moderate intensity, high-intensity, and sprint intensity. So shoot Keating, don't shoot me. Yeah, okay. That, that's fundamentally what we'll they We'll drop found. that at the bottom. Yeah, and the other one was by Wawenge, which I didn't make up. Well, Wenge did a study in 2017 as well that looked at moderate intensity versus high intensity. You got no better effect doing the high intensity as the moderate intensity for body composition. Okay. The low intensity traditional training, if we go through them sort of one at a time, the lower intensity, the traditional training that most people have always thought of as their cardio. Mm -hmm. So for low intensity, I'm talking less than 50% of heart rate, uh, sorry, probably about 60% of heart rate max, somewhere in that ballpark. So, so what are we doing then? We're walking, walking fast? Yeah, walking, cycling, yeah. Yep. maybe rowing, rowing a 
ergo, things like that. And we can still talk. Yeah, the talk test is one that's been used for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the way that all works, that all came off the work of a guy called Romagen in the early 90s. So you know when you get on your treadmill and it's got the fat-burning zone? Yeah, exactly. That all came from Romagen's work. Mm-hmm. And that will all tell you to be in that fat-burning zone, which is around 40 to 60%. Yep. That's actually closer to moderate intensity technically. The lower intensity is probably under 50%. Mm-hmm. It works via oxida- oxidative phosphorylation is the way in which it works, whereby we have oxidation or utilisation of fuel. Now, it's not unique. It's not You don't just burn carbs or fat. What happens when we exercise, there's this constant mixing of both. It's not a switch on, switch off mechanism. That's not how it works. Even just to sitting here right now, there'll be a combination. of To maintain our basal metabolic rate will be a combination of carbs and fat. That's mm-hmm. just how, how the process works. And there's this reciprocal relationship that exists with fuel shift. What we use to fuel the engine, mitochondria, will change depending on what we what fuel we put in the system, mm-hmm. simply. If you have an increased amount of blood glucose, carbs, then you're going to have a shift towards utilisation of carbs in skeletal muscle metabolism, mitochondria in yeah. your muscle, right? If you throw a heap of fat in, you'll shift that around and utilize the fats as okay. well. Yeah. So it, it's not a all or nothing type of approach. And it works via what's called the glucose fatty acid cycle. Been around since the 60s, nothing new. It's pretty new, pretty pretty uh, well known. You know, I'm not, not telling anyone they don't anything, anything they don't already know. One of the really big benefits of endurance exercise is mitochondrial density. We get more mitochondria. And that's one of the big benefits. More mitochondria, more little energy factories, burn more fuel, technically lose more fat, technically. But that gives us the energy for everything. Muscle development, everything is energized through the mitochondria. With exercise, we're going to burn carbs, we're going to burn fat. Now that happens at the onset of exercise, regardless of the exercise, until traditionally we hit a point which is what we call this steady state. Then there's a a bit of a shift that exists around this. So the traditional approach is that we increase our carbohydrate availability as our exercise intensity increases up to about that 60% mark yep. and then it tends to drop right off. Sorry, we'll have a drop off in fat utilisation and we'll we'll preferentially use the carbs. <coughs> anyway, so that process of oxidative phosphorylation is pretty complicated, but there's this, the glucose fatty acid cycle. If, for example, if you've got a lot of lipids, you've got pla- high amounts of plasma fatty acids, you'll increase the amount of fatty acid oxidation. You'll tend to drop off your carbohydrate utilization in muscle. And it does that via a reduction in pyruvate oxidation. I know it's sort of not really what you're interested in. Some people might be interested in it. It inhibits pyruvate dehydrogenase kinase, which is an enzyme. The net effect is it shifts us toward fat metabolism, which Mm -hmm. is what we want to have. The goal. Yeah. And the other thing we see is an increase in citrate. Citrate will inhibit phosphofructokinase, which is another enzyme associated with this whole process of energy metabolism. And that drops off our carbohydrate oxidation. We've got increased fat. We've got drop off in carbohydrate utilization. And the other Mm -hmm. one that's a key player is glucose 6-phosphate. Glucose 6-phosphate inhibits an enzyme called hexokinase. Hexokinase inhibits glucose entry into the muscle cell. So the the net effect of all of that is a good thing from a fatty acid oxidation perspective. The other thing we see with high-fat diets, and it's why I'm sort of a bit of a fan of the keto approach, is... And this is for, I'm talking 70% diet uh, fat in mm-hmm. the diet. Yep. We'll have an increase in intramuscular triglycerides. Intramuscular, an increased amount of intramuscular triglyceride has a tendency to drop carbohydrate oxidation during moderate intensity exercise. There's about four or five working parts there that all have an impact on the fuel that we use when we exercise, which is kind of cool because it creates a caloric deficit. And that's what we want, ultimately. 
even though I know I said before we get a drop in metabolism, you can't have it all one way, right? So we need to so just mix it up. Stepping back to moderate intensity continuous yeah. training. I'm just going to have some caffeine. <laughs> we should talk about what caffeine's going to do, but we'll caffeine. jump on that next. We'll, uh, caffeine will change your life, man. Going to get back into this training zone. Oh, okay. So moderate intensity. So where am I training? I want to lose weight, Mac. How, do I, how am I training? Well, moderate intensity, you are... Give me some examples. Some walking. Yeah. You are... See, I don't think people need to run, right? Mm-hmm. Because not everyone's built to run. I think I've talked about this in a previous podcast. I see people running on treadmills and I just think, your knees are screaming, get off me. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like when you stand on the scales and there's not a number, it just says get off. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the moderate intensity, pick something that you like to do, right? If you don't want to run, don't run. If you you hate riding a bike, don't ride a bike. I know not everyone, a lot of people are going to go, I don't want to do anything. Bit of tough love, you've got to do something. Typical hit the gym and just hit the weights. Where are we at? Is that moderate intensity? Yeah, you've got to train heavy. Yep. Yep. So circuit workout, circuit training, Mm -hmm. uh, supersets, drop sets, all that sort of thing. Yep. Fantastic. Two ways to go. You want to go with moderate intensity for fat loss, circuit. We are talking fat loss. Yep. Okay. But there's two types of fat loss. Mm -hmm. There's acute fat loss as a result of the immediate impact of that workout versus a residual fat loss with EPOC. Absolutely. They're two different workouts. So if I just want to have a workout that is associated with fat loss of this workout, then it's the lower intensity, moderate intensity type of workout. I'm burning fuel. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to be in a workout that burns fuel. I'm going to walk on a treadmill. I can go for a... I can jog if you want to go jogging. Fantastic. Ride the bike, stationary bike, spin classes. The concept of circuit training, I would say yes, it's a winner for a couple of reasons as well. When you do circuit type training, circuit training, and by that I mean relatively higher rep ranges, so mm-hmm. maybe 12s, 15s, 20s, mm-hmm. short rest period, 30 seconds rest between sets, multiple sets. I think people dramatically undertrain. Most people don't. I don't... Overtraining is rare, man. Okay. True overtraining. To be truly overtrained, you have to have a decrement in performance. You can feel tired, you can feel sore, lethargic, all that stuff. But if you're still moving the same weight in the gym, you're not overtrained. Okay. If, you, if you're still hitting the same targets in the, on your cardio, you're not overtrained. You may be under recovered, may be overreached, but you're not under. You're not overtrained. Okay. A lot of people go, it's just not. It's just not common. The other thing we get with circuit type training, you'll get a you'll get spikes in cortisol. You want that. You want glucose mobilization. The other thing we see with high amounts of lactate, lactic acid, and lactate is we get an increase in growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Growth hormone is lipolytic. Yep. So you break, you know, so we can have spikes in that as well. If I want to do the moderate type intensity, I'm doing circuits, I'm doing, you know, you might just want to ride the bike. You might, you know, but you need to get to around about 70% of your heart rate max. That's your moderate intensity. And that's not based on EPOC. That's based on I'm burning calories in this workout on top of what I'm doing with my nutrition, on top of what I'm doing at work. And that's going to bring about the result. The other end of that spectrum is the workouts, like the high intensity interval training and the sprint interval training. There's much more, we've already said that's not going to burn any more calories in that workout, Mm -hmm. but it's based on an EPOC approach, which is this prolonged utilization of oxygen to bring your metabolism and everything back to normal. The simplified way of looking at it is I'm going to burn more calories when I'm throughout my day. It doesn't quite work that way because it's dependent on a lot of different things. And I think I touched on that at the start. You need to be at 80% of your heart rate max minimum. Sprint interval training is 100%, not 99, 100 you know, if you're 99... Not many of us are doing that. Not many people yeah. are doing it. And that's the catch. It's got to be maximal intensity. And I hear about people that say, oh, I'm doing high intensity intervals, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, and I did 20 of them. Garbage. No, you didn't. You did not. I probably did, said that. Yeah, you did something... <laughs> you, what, you, you did a workout, but it wasn't a hit session. And I love that workout too, just quite Yeah, well. and that, that can work. That, that's a good workout, but that's not a hit session. No. That becomes... a. That actually probably becomes some sort of long, slow distance slug fest that you know, towards the end of it. First couple of efforts, probably pretty good. Machine mode. Yeah, killing it. (laughs) 
on fire. That's the stuff that goes on Instagram. It's the back end of the workout that doesn't really work. And what are those HIIT protocols? I'm, I'm talking about, so a, a high intensity interval is 60 seconds to maybe four minutes. That's your interval of work, right? A sprint interval is under 60 seconds. 30 seconds and I get people if I want to work with people who want their best bang for their buck and they want this extended epoch I'm doing heavy resistance work and I'm doing because not everyone can tolerate six wing gates back back on three minute turnarounds not many people are going to tolerate that so let's start with 15 seconds let's do 15 on let's do Two two minutes forty five off. Let's do six of them. Can I can I put you under a little bit of pressure here? No. I know we're going to throw it from the left field here. No pre- Oh, can you See, what, can you? Why would you do that to me? Because everybody wants to know how to how to. We're how doing to really that, well. We, we're sort of getting on really well, and then you wanted to have a crack. Let's right? just say we walk into EMF. Okay. Yep. Love Which is got... just a commercial gym here yeah. in Australia. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. It's a gym with a We've lot of lot different equipment. Yeah. My apologies. US, it's Japanese. A... Konnichiwa. Yeah. Say we we hit EMF. What type of program should I do if my whole goal in life is not being happy and healthy? It's fat loss. I just want to lose fat. Do you lose fat? You don't lose fat. I want to reduce my fat cell size. So what am I? What am I? Let's let's throw it down there. Am I jumping on the rower? Am I? Come on, you know Doctor do- Mac, give me well, your. Here's the thing. Give us right? a free program. Come I, on. You're not doing a hundred burpees. Put it that way. And I know I always without come it, off like with, I'm sitting on the fence, but it without depends, ex- right? without explaining without explaining why. Yeah. Just throw me a program. Go. You want a fat loss program? I do. I just it depends want, though. I've got to ask you some questions. I want a moderate intensity continuous training program. My diet's already been looked after by someone like Harriet. But I'm I, I want to know what that is. Right? So he would, I would map I'm out. keto. Yeah, that doesn't tell me, mate. But I want to know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do is the question. Put it back on you. So you might say to me, there's no there's no point in me saying to you, you're going to ride the bike for 20 minutes, you're going to do this for 20, that for 20. If you hate doing it, you're not going to do it. Yeah, I get that. But I, I, I want to clearly. No, but I want to know. So you give me some parameters. What do you like to do? You, you want to lose some fat. What do you like to do? Do you like to lift weights, yes or no? Yeah, we can lift weights. Okay. But I've got dodgy knees, so I'm not doing a lot so of So I need to know that, stuff. right? Yeah. I can't no, get no, you no, doing... I'm not talking about me. I'm talking yeah. about the average... No, no, but it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. I, I still need to know. If you've got dodgy yeah. knees and you've had five shoulder reconstructions, you've got a pacemaker... Well, and, I've been running. Yeah, so I've on. been running and so my knees are a little sore. I'm not overtrained. I've just learned that. No, you're definitely not over. My not diet. Many people, no one's overtrained. I've been given a diet that I like. It's I don't, Harry. I don't know whether you do keto or not, but I pick keto. I'm so pretty sure Harriet doesn't do that. No, I don't. I'm a massive fan of keto, so I'm going I'm to use yeah. keto as an example. Absolutely. Because I don't think it's really where I'm talking about at the moment. I'm but a I'll go there. Time-restricted diurnal intermittent yeah. modified <laughs> keto, mate. That's what it's all about. Forget the I'm is me. I'm not talking about me. But I'm walking into a gym. Well, I think you're a good. And I've listened to your podcast and I'm going, that guy was smart. Like he wow. said so many big words that I've got to go look up once you leave. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. So I, I really want a nail on the head. Good. That's the first thing. So we're not going to right. do the same thing every day. No. So what are we going to do? Give me a seven days and a basic overview. Let's dumb it right down so you don't feel compelled no, no, but to explain it, it, to me everything about so it. So it depends a lot, right? It yep. depends on if you are completely sedentary, right? If you've never, So we're talking blank canvas, right? No, let's talk. But pe- people, no, no, but you're an average tra- person. You haven't done training. much. Yeah, you're kind of active in life. You don't. But see, there's people that love training and people that don't, right? So okay. Oh, the people who love Bottom training, line, we're not talking to them right now. That They're doing their thing. They, okay. If you want to legitimately lose some fat, you're going to have to do some work, right? If you have dodgy knees, I'm probably not going to get you to do... I've got the all clear from the doctor. My diet's good. I need to get a training program. I want Mm. to lose fat. Yeah, I would. All things being equal, 
and there's no limitations to what yeah, we can do. Yeah, and this isn't perfect science. And get no, a PT, go see someone. We so recommend you're in there four days a week, right? Yep. So I'm going to do. I'm going to give you things to do at work. So I'm going to tell you to do things like sit to stand. I'm going to tell you to perfect. walk around. How gonna, often? What's that? How oh, often do I sit to stand? Twenty minutes of every hour. So twenty on, twenty off, twenty on, twenty no, off. No, no. You can sit for forty minutes. Yep. Stand up for twenty minutes. Okay. Do that on the hour. You're going to walk down the stairs and back up the stairs. Yep. Like just little wins. Yeah, I get that. Whatever you can do, right? I'm going to tell you to do all that. If you've got a, something that we can track that, I would <laughs> encourage you to get something to track that. Okay. And if it's steps or calories or whatever, because I think we want to know, we don't want to have to guess. Yep. So if we can measure stuff, let's try and measure it. And if you're committed to your fat loss, then let's get a little device or two. Yep. So let's say, okay, I'm going to give you some things to do at work. So mm-hmm. if you like going to the gym and you're paying 20 bucks a week or 30 bucks I'm willing a week, to go four times a it week. It doesn't matter, right? Yep. Yeah, but you're going to go four times a week. More better, more is better for me, right? I would have you in there five days a week. Well, let's do five. Right, five days a week. I would mix it up. So I would do a combination of three days a week of, if you're a newcomer, pretty much whole body resistance training, mm-hmm. we'll do circuits, right? We'll do probably in that time frame only one or two exercises per muscle group. We're going to do 12 to 15 reps. We're going to do three or four sets on each exercise. Mm-hmm. We're going to have 30 seconds rest in between the workout. We're going to implement that. That'll take about an hour, 45 okay. minutes. Yep. Although I said before, we want to get, I want to get some cardio into you as well. Yeah, okay. Some moderate intensity work. So I would include some same day one the same day yeah yeah we yep. do the same we've already day. done 45 yeah. minutes you can still do i would finish the workout with the traditional approach there's no problem with doing your cardio after your weights mm-hmm. it's just not probably what we thought it was but you're still going to burn up some calories yep pre-workout if you want to take a pre-workout i'd say take a pre-workout yep. aminos things like that during your workout no problems okay carbs no thank you yep gotcha. no carbs pre no carbs post the nutrient timing after that workout you know the anabolic window and all that sort of stuff that's another really complicated conversation that is actually dependent on your muscle mass and your fiber type distribution. We're going to get back to training. Yeah, I know. So that's day one. Yeah, day one. Day yeah. one. Yeah, we'll do it three days a week. So no we're doing that three, in yep. a row, three in a row? No, no, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yep. We'll do that. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Tuesday and Thursday, I'll do a – you're going to a commercial gym. If it's got inter, uh, interval classes, if it's got some sort of – let's mix it up. Let's mm-hmm. do some other class. Let's try over – the, over the week, I just want to try and burn up that 35-odd hundred calories. Yep to give you a bit of variation and give you a few different things to do. So you go and do a 30-minute spin class. Go and do a, they call them hit sessions, whatever, yep. you know, whatever they're going to do. Do a hit session. That might be a combination of cardio, you know, sled pushes. You know, might, people want to do that yeah. stuff. So I would, it's I would be build fun. that in. Something fun. It's pretty easy to do. And how many calories am I looking for on those sessions? I've yeah. got my watch on, remember? If you can you get, get a device. For a, yeah, yeah. If you can burn, if you can burn 150, 200 calories... In the, we're in the right ballpark. Okay. Mm. So you should be able to do that. Yep. Even if you just walk on a treadmill. If you walk on a treadmill, 6.5 kilometers an hour for about 30 minutes, you'll burn about 120 calories, won't you? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm believing I'm you. Guessing. You're the expert. I think it's something in that ballpark. Yep. I actually think if you're going, if you've got a choice between a recumbent bike, a normal stationary bike, you know, a recumbent bike. Yeah, I know it is, yeah. Uh, and a treadmill, get mm-hmm. on the recumbent bike. Really? So I don't know if this is published anywhere. Why is that? Well, so I've measured it, right? I've measured caloric expenditure on those devices at the same relative intensity. And I haven't published this anywhere. And someone will probably want to argue the toss on it, but you'll burn more calories on a recumbent bike. Interesting, eh? That is interesting. Yeah. About 10 more calories per workout, which is not, you know, not going to live and die by it, but over a week, it's 70 calories. You know, it makes a difference. Anyway, so that's what I would do. I would mix it up. You know, I would do some interval sprints, you know, just different things just to in, during your workout. If you really um, want to mix it up and give yourself a – have a crack, like it, I would – 
and you've got a facility that's got room to move. Like a lot, of, not a lot of gyms have got space to go and do you know, sprints and stuff yep. like that. But I like, I call them hybrid sets. I would do my set of squats and then do a set of sled pulls, pushes. Okay. Walk back to another set of squats. You don't see that set up much in a gym? No. But, no. but EMF, you could do it. Exactly. Some, some places you can do it. You know, do CrossFit workout. Go and do something different. You yeah. know, you, you mix it up. But the strength stuff's important. Maintaining muscle mass is important to ensure that you... A lot of people go, oh, you got more lean muscle mass. Your metabolism is much higher. It's mm. actually not that much higher. It's okay. maybe 3 to 5% higher. Yeah. So it's not like you can go and have five cheeseburgers because you've got more muscle mass. It doesn't work that way. It'd be nice if it did, but it doesn't. But you want to do high-intensity work. If you were someone who was trained, this is the other thing. With the high-intensity... You just said you want to do high-intensity. Do you want to do moderate intensity no, no, work I'm, or high intensity? I've got to work? finish the. Okay, so yeah. got to finish. You can do moderate, right? Yep. If you're a beginner and you just want to do moderate intensity work, no problem. Circuits, yep. um, you can just turn your legs over. That'll work for you, as mm-hmm. long as you keep it interesting. Yep. Do that's, a class. That's a valid point, actually. Keep it interesting. Yeah. Do an F45 session, no yep. problems. I wouldn't say just do 40 F45 workouts. Yep. I would mix I it up. I picked up on that. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just think that's probably not going to get the job done for everything you need. And we did qualify if it was fastest results. So. Yes. One of the things we know about if we move now into high-intensity interval work above 80% of your heart rate, that's the next level up. We know that we get an increased catecholamine response, catecholamine, adrenaline, noradrenaline. Mm-hmm. When we do these high-intensity sessions where we spike our cortisol and we spike our adrenaline, we drive the breakdown of fats. So we get an increase in fatty acid, free fatty acid release from adipose tissue, subcutaneous adipose tissue, and also from visceral fat. The beauty of fat loss is that even though it's stored in our subcutaneous area and our viscera, We can lose it off both. So it's not the end of the world, right? And is there a type of exercise that targets one or the other? No. Okay. And if anyone tells you that, please send me the research because I'd like to read it. You can't do it. It's like spot reduction. Yeah. You can't spot reduce. I'm sorry. No matter what whiz-bang thing people say that they've got. The other thing that it does is spikes growth hormone. It's lipolytic. So you'll burn fat that way. And you will get an element of epoch. So you will get an afterburn effect on, on your workout. If you were, the other thing with that, we know people who are fatter get better results. So the more trained you are, less trained you are, the better result you'll get yep. with that sort of approach. More trained individuals, I if you were more trained, I'd be getting you to do the super maximal stuff. I'd be saying, you know what, we're going to do the modified wing gates. I'm going to get you on a bike. I'm going to get you to go really, really fast. Maximal intensity. I'm going to get you 30 seconds on. I'm going to give you three minutes off. And I'm going to vomit. And we're going to do six of them back to back. Uh, you can after burn. Vomit. Hey? After the vomit? Yeah, you'll vomit. That's yeah. all right. That's not the target, but that's what's going to happen. We're going to spike your epoch. I've already said I'm going to argue the toss over how how long that epoch lasts, but I'm telling you the epoch there is going to be longer than if you just do low intensity. Yep. Once the workout stops with the low intensity, the fat burning stops. Gotcha. Right? Yep. With this... Once the workout stops, the fat burning continues. Yes. That's the that's the crux of what we're talking about here. So, so can we just go back over that, that EPOC train again? It was... Excess post-exercise op- oxygen consumption. Got that. Yeah. The, the actual session, you just plugged it on as a oh. smart-ass in the middle and I wrecked it, sorry. No, that's all right. It's, a, it's super maximal. So, so it's 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yep. yep. 30 seconds. Maximum. Well, yeah, 30 seconds is fine. Yep. You could probably go 10 seconds. You just want maximum efforts. Let's just talk. I've walked in the gym. There's an People assault call it tab- Tabata. Tabata. Yep. Right? People have messed that up. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And actually, I shouldn't even mention it. Don't no, worry about let's it. Let's move on. Yeah. It's all out effort. It's not good for beginners. And I'll tell you why. So I've just got an assault bike. Yes. And I want to lose Does everyone weight. know what an assault bike is? So it's arms and legs, people. Putrid. Yep. I actually love I hate it so much. I love it. But I'm definitely not uh, 
I've what's, got an assault bike. What's the question? Yeah. And um, I'm an average person who loves training. I train six times a week. Like, let's just say I'm a fit human, okay? Yeah. And I, and, I want, and I just want to rip it off a bit. I want to, you know, I'm getting ready for summer. It's, you know, yeah. okay, we've got some type of great event coming up because yes. we all train for events. Yeah. So I find the assault bike. Yeah, I like okay, it. Okay, so, you, you know, like I'm, I don't have a university I can walk into and, no. and crack out a test that you're talking about. So... What am I doing on that? You're doing maximum flat out balls to the wall, 30, se- well, 30 seconds on. If you can. Yeah. Yep. Maybe don't start with that. Maybe start with 15. Yeah. Be a bit realistic. And that's, that's okay. And how long am I breaking for after that? Give I'm, yourself remember I'm fit. I'm a f- at least four times what you worked for. Okay. So that's the rule. Two four minutes. times. Yep. Yep. Give yourself two minutes. The difference between giving yourself a minute, it's about maintaining the quality of the effort. Yeah. Okay. Right. If you only give yourself a minute, you're going to... You're going to gas out on your second effort. Yep. Right. I want to, if it means I've got to have a little bit more rest so that I can maximize my work effort, that's where it's at. So even if you need three minutes, take three minutes. But when you get on the bike next time, 100%. So I've 30 seconds, I've had three minutes break. I'm doing that again. Yeah. Yep. And then I'm doing that if again. You're, if, you're, if you're a serious campaigner, we're doing six of them at least. Six. At least. Okay. Yeah. If you can do 10, we're doing 10. Yeah. Oh, so if you can We're do going to find, you know, Jacques Cousteau sets? I'll meet you at the bottom, brother. <laughs> you, you don't do Jacques? <laughs> That's what it's all about, man. Yeah, you know, like when we do plate-loaded weights, there's a reason that there's a hole at the bottom. Yep. That's where we're going. You know, just find your way there. Yeah. But get there quick. You know, there's a ton of sayings we could we could go in here. But anyway. I'm just trying to set a few scenarios up for a few people. Yeah. That- yeah. So fundamentally, if you're trained, that's where we're going to go. Okay. And that will increase your afterburn or the amount of calories that you will burn. Basically, to get you back to homeostasis. Yep. To recover, really simply. And the nutrition plays a part in that. However, there's a lot going on there. But it's the protein synthesis. You, you know, you're going to damage a little bit of myofibers. So you got some recovery on the back yep. of that. One of the things with EPOC you'll with that type of training that really intense stuff you do get an increase in mitochondrial up um, up regulation Mm -hmm. you get more mitochondria you get more little energy factories we get really good improvements in cardiovascular fitness very quickly with that type of training much more so than just the steady state plodding along turn your legs over people want to you know, struggle with it. People want to do prowlers, right? Prowler pushes, they're really popular. Great exercise, no question, right? The problem with prowler pushes, it's hit and miss. By that I mean, you got to push it for 30 seconds, flat yeah, out, yeah. Okay. right? So you need some space to do that, yeah. right? You know, if you don't have an area that's 40 metres long, you're not going to get it done. And you got to sprint. This is the other thing I would say in terms of reward and risk, if you're going to do that type of training... And this is what people want to know. Yeah. If you're going to do that type of training, don't sprint, and I'll tell you why, because you'll tear your hamstring, right? Most people are not geared to sprint. Most people will tear something very quickly. Ride a bike, it's all concentric, it's quad dominant, right? You take the load off your hammies, mm-hmm. you're not going to hurt yourself, right? You want to mitigate the risk. I want to get through this workout. I don't want to tear anything. I don't want to hurt myself, but I want to get my best bang for my buck. That's why I use Watt bikes. Watt bikes are excellent. Yep. And if they want to send one to my house, that would be really <laughs> – I can give you the address. Uh, I'd be really grateful. But if I was only buying one type of bike, it would be a Watt bike. Okay. Watt bikes, I use them – in labs, I use them in practice with teams, that sort of thing. For me and from the feedback I get from athletes, they're the closest thing to riding a real bike, not okay. a stationary bike. Yep. Take the risk factor out of it. And I don't know, if, you, if I said to you right now, I'm going to get you to sprint on a treadmill, top-end sprint, you'd be thinking... Um, he's dreaming. You know, he's dreaming, right? Mm. Particularly if he's going to do you know six or eight of them back-to-back. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And you'll tell you how many. I've got piano wire for hamstrings. Yep. I mean, it's not going to happen, right? Yep. And if you're a, a little bit overweight, you're not, 
you know, you can't run with a backpack on the front, right? You know what I mean? If you've got a lot of stomach fat, you know, <laughs> it's like having a backpack on, on the front. You can't sprint. And there are direct correlations with obesity or fatness and muscle, in, and muscle tears in your lower limbs. It's, you're not made to run. So let's rip some fat off. You can run anytime you like. Yep. Stay off the sand would be my other thing. If you want to tear your hamstring or tear a calf, go and, run, go and sprint on sand when you haven't done it before. You'll tear a hamstring. That's not recommended if anyone's just wondering about that. Oh, if you're wondering about it, yeah. So cycling is the best way to go. Um, I think that kind of covers that one pretty well. And that, that the answer to the question is that's much easier, I think, in terms of coming up with those programs because you're much more limited to what you can do. Yeah. And the same in Keep the gym. Yeah, and I think in the gym, the research tells us that the more prolonged epochs the more prolonged afterburn, or I keep using that term, is with heavy resistance work, mm-hmm. 80%, 1RM. So you're only doing you know threes and fours. It's like you, you, you're having a crack. I would mix it up. I would do my wing gate, then go and do a set of squats, then go back and do a wing gate. Same day. Yeah, rip in. You don't get big picking cherries. You know how <laughs> you know that's how it works, right? So I think that's. That's the key. You, would, would you put something up at the bottom it, on this, just like a little basic overview of what we discussed, yeah, yeah, maybe three simple sure, programs sure, sure, because sure. we've jumped everywhere and it may be a little confusing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We can do that. That's not a problem. Sorry, I was just checking my swole watch. <laughs> so I think we I think we covered a fair bit of territory. territory. I talked about – so that's the key. So there are two different populations. If you're – the take-home message is variety is important. Absolutely. The other take-home message is that you don't have to do the super-maximal – type of stuff you will still get a really good outcome from the moderate intensity mm-hmm. that flies in the face a little bit of what we're all being told these days that you've got to do these hit sessions yep. and you know i think there's a lot of value in learning how to train learning to train maximally takes some skill takes some experience and that's why i say it takes friends too you need yeah to and beginners yeah, yeah yeah that's right so beginners the beginners don't know what maximum looks like because they've never been there mm. there's a process and that's where trainers are great. Yep. You get a PT or you spend a few bucks. There's, there's a good investment. Like if you learn to drive a car. You, know, you, you get, get driving lessons. You get driving lessons. Yeah. You know? So if you're going to spend some time on your health, going to go to a gym, spend a few bucks, do a few sessions with the PT and highly learn recommended. some basics. Yeah, yeah highly, highly recommended. recommended. Absolutely. It's a great way to go. Maybe and, we might wrap that up And I think there. that's how we want to be, man. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Get a PT, get a program, get your food right. Yeah, lose some fat. Life's good. Just start. That's the real thing yeah. first, and it starts. Well, the thing that stops most people is getting started. Yeah. So uh, that's that's the key to to the whole thing. We might uh, grab another um, in a future podcast. We might grab a competitor or two and have a chat about what they do because that's yep. obviously very different to what you were talking about just then. What do you mean? Someone what kind who of competitor. Someone standing on stage. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's where the traditional view has been slow steady state mm. burn up the calories eat up the meters the yep. calorie eater. but y- you lose a lot of muscle going yep. that way and that there's absolutely direct correlation there's a linear correlation between the duration of exercise the intensity and muscle loss yep. so this is where i say to a lot of physique competitors you know i'm going to drag you kicking and screaming out of the dark ages that's not how you want to train you want to maintain muscle mass the thing that a lot of people are concerned about with that sort of training that's why i say don't sprint physique competitors don't need to sprint Mm -hmm. if you're a bodybuilder you don't want to sprint you're going to tear your hamstring or something and they worry about this mindset that i'm going to lose muscle you're not going to lose muscle in fact you're going to gain muscle you're going to have spikes in all these your testosterone growth hormone all these anabolic hormones will spike you'll actually grow if you want to if you if you can't, like the, the effort, the recruitment of higher order motor units associated with Wingate testing 
this is why it's got to be maximal to maintain quad mass. You don't, you, you probably don't even have to train legs as much. You know, you'll you'll still maintain your quad development. The pump is unbelievable. I can imagine. So, you know. It's even like doing intermittent blood flow restriction work. When you take the tourniquet off, you get this massive reperfusion effect, which is the pump effect. And so we need to perhaps work on educating some of the traditionalists around doing things smarter Mm -hmm. because you can keep your calories up, you can train less, you can maintain your muscle mass, you can rip body fat off, get on stage, look fantastic, happy days. Take that backpack. Take the backpack, man. It's got to, got to bring the trophy home some way. Exactly. That's how it works. Awesome. Well, thanks, Mac. That was excellent. Cool. See you next time. Today's podcast was brought to you by our partners in Fit, Happy and Healthy, ASN, Nutrition Warehouse, DY Discount Vitamins, Fat Burners Only, Evelyn Fay, Mr. Supplement, or find a retailer online at bodyscience.com.au forward slash retailers.